Morning. Is this on? Check. Test. This on? Hello? We good, Jody? Okay. There we go. Thank you. Everybody doing okay this morning? Everybody's looking good? Yeah, feeling good? Everybody going to give God glory today? Come on, let's give God some glory today. Come on. Come on now. Give God glory. God is good. God is good all the time. Love the Lord. Um, If you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands here directly so that you can follow along with us as we go through God's Word. Thank you for joining us today, either here or uh, online. We are so grateful to have you with us, however you have chosen. We'd love to have you here, but if you can't be here, we're glad that uh, you are with us there as well. Anything we can do to get God's Word to you and, uh, and in you, right? It's not only good enough to get in the Word, we need the Word to get into us. Um, listen, I know that uh, you guys may have some questions or some thoughts or maybe even wondering with respect to you know, Russia, Ukraine, and the Bible, and global volatility, and this and that, and what does this mean? And uh, If I think about it, after our time, I'll maybe give you a couple personal thoughts on that, but for now, I just want to focus on why we're here, which is to uh, give honor to God and to His Word. Uh, so with that, Let's, uh, let's take our Bibles and open them uh, to the book of James, chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 26. Today we will finish chapter 2 in a, a message that I have entitled, uh, Saving Faith. And so with that, uh, let's take our hearts to the Lord. God, we, just, we thank you, Lord, for meeting with us today. Uh, God, we love you, and we just thank you for your grace and your mercy, and we're praying, God, that you would move and that you would minister uh, to, Lord, uh, to challenge our our hearts and teach our minds, and we just want to be made more like you. And God, obviously, we want to pray for what's happening uh, globally and uh, the unrest, you know, that that takes place emotionally, physically, spiritually when things like this uh, come up. God, that you'd give us wisdom in how we respond and that we do the right thing as well. And so, Lord, uh, we just give you you today, and we pray, God, that you would uh, teach us as you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So, uh, Jody, if I could have maybe just a pinch, that'd be great. Okay, fantastic. Saving faith, what does saving faith look like in a person's life? That is really the heart behind this section of Scripture, And guys, it's an important question to consider, isn't it? Because faith is a key, uh, in fact, critical doctrine in the Christian life. I mean, the uh, sinner is saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2. The believer is to walk by faith. The Bible teaches that apart from faith, it's impossible to please God, and that whatever is not from faith is sin. And so this whole idea is a very important, this concept, this principle is very pivotal in our lives. Now, and just for the record, when we talk about faith, guys, we're not talking about some sort of nebulous, maybe be indefinable feeling that you know we work up within ourselves we're talking about the conviction and the confidence that the word of God is true uh, which provides the inspiration and the motivation to act upon it and render obedience to it trusting that ultimately acting upon God's word will bring God's blessing right and so we're going to jump right in here along with James in verse 14 of chapter 2 Uh, where he writes, what does it profit, my brethren, if, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, real quick, if you'll allow me to clarify this question at the end of verse 14, in asking, can faith save him? You know, if you were to take that quote out of its context, the answer would be yes. I mean, you hear me quote it all the time, right? Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In the sixth chapter of the gospel of John, the people were asking Jesus what they needed to do to work the works of God. And what they meant by that was, what is it that God requires of us that we might be saved? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. And so it's faith alone that provides the conduit, right? Uh, Think of like a conduit or a pipeline. It's faith alone that provides this 
conduit through which the saving grace of God flows into your heart and your life, making you a new creation in Christ. So when James asks, uh, can faith save him? He's asking a question that aids in, it, it will aid us in detecting or discerning or distinguishing a true and genuine faith from a false or even perhaps self-deceiving profession of faith. Essentially what he's asking is, what are the fingerprints of true saving faith in a person's life? And the bottom line here is if a person professes to have faith, but there's zero evidence of any kind of change in their life, can that kind of faith save him or save her? And so the question isn't really, can faith save him? The question is, can the kind of faith that produces no change in a person really save that person? Does that make sense? It's a rhetorical question. Uh, The answer is implied in the phrasing, the way the question is phrased. What good is it if someone claims they have faith, but nothing about their life backs it up? Well, the the answer is it isn't any good at all. Um, People have, listen, people have zero obligation. I might even go as far as to say they don't really have even any right to believe that I am saved if nothing about my life changes after I have put my faith in God. We might even go as far as to say that a workless faith is a worthless faith. The faith that does not give or, or produce a work is not worth anything to me. Now, guys, we've already established that a person is saved through faith alone. We spent our little introductory segment saying, you know, thereafter verse 1, that faith, or pardon me, verse 14, uh, that faith is the conduit through which the saving grace of God flows. We're not saved by works. However, saving faith will go to work and be at work in our lives, Christianity doesn't demonstrate itself by simply what comes forth from my lips, though that's certainly a part of it, isn't it? But it involves what I do with my life as well. Jumping in front of me again. Paul captures the flow of this perfectly in Ephesians chapter 2, where he writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Check it out. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're not saved by good works. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. Does that make sense to you? So at the risk of redundancy, the kind of faith that will save my soul will effectively change my life. Perhaps you recall or remember the lesson in our previous passage, the Christian's life should be marked by consistent courtesy toward others and compassion for others. Every individual is either someone in whom Christ dwells or for whom Christ died. And so that should invoke that courtesy, that compassion. Now in verse 15, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are necessary or which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so here is James, right? As he is so good at doing, he does here again. He takes us from the exhortation that faith will be at work in and through my life into this practical illustration. And he's distinguishing for us the difference between uh, living faith, that is, a faith that brings forth life and change, that courtesy, that compassion, as opposed to a dead or barren, fruitless faith that simply, simply substitutes words for works. Uh, someone who may have the right talk, 
They know the Bible. They quote scripture. They offer words that sound spiritual. But the reality is that that spiritual tone isn't matched by their walk or the way they lead their lives. Somewhere in this person's mind, the words are as good as the works. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they're, oh, you know, they're offering condolence, they're saying right things. So in their mind, they've offered words, it's the same or it's just as good as offering the work. They're wrong, okay? James envisions you here encountering a brother or a sister in the Lord who is genuinely down and out. You know, it's cold outside. They don't own a coat. They're not even sure where their next meal is going to come from. And, and you know this to be true about them. This isn't, guys, this isn't speaking about the guy or the gal on the street corner holding the sign that says, you know, anything helps, God bless, and this and that. That's a different situation. That's a different conversation altogether. We're talking here about the credible need of another believer that you come in contact with. This is not the person that's refusing to work. This is not the person that feels a sense of entitlement or who tries to manipulate you emotionally because they know that as a Christian you're wired kind of toward compassion. This is a fellow believer who is in a destitute condition and they've been found by you in that condition. Now, James says, you come across this fella, you come across this lady, and you just spit out some sort of spiritual-sounding uh, rhetoric toward them. Oh, you know, depart in peace. This was a common you know, Jewish kind of farewell. Depart in peace. Be warm. Be filled. In our day, we might be inclined to say, well, brother, I'm going to be praying for you, you know, that, that God will really provide and, and, and all of that. Um, but then you, you do nothing at all to help them. Now, again, this is taking for granted that you're in a place where you could help them, okay? James is taking for granted here. Now, it may be a bit of a strain. There may be a little bit of sacrifice involved, but you could put a few groceries on the person's plate. You know, you could get a jacket for them or whatever the case may be. He says, look, it's fine to pray. We encourage, obviously, it's fine to pray that God would provide. But think it through. You are standing right there. Okay? God has placed you there to be the one through whom he provides. Are you following the flow here? If you pray for them or offer some spiritual word of consolation to them, but then don't do anything for them, in any way try to help them, what good is it? John said it like this. He said, by this we know love, because he, that is Jesus, uh, laid down his life for us. And we also, how does, what does love look like in our lives? Well, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how then does the love of God abide in him? He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You see, John acknowledges. James sort of takes for granted in our section of scripture today that you have the means to help. He says, you have this world's goods. And guys, that's generally the way that God will meet needs and provide for ministries. He uses us to be his hands, to be his feet, to show his love, to offer his compassion. You know, there you are, and, and you know, you, you know that the worship team could use musicians, could use vocalists. You know the children's ministry could use aides and teachers. You know the ushers could use help, the media team. You know, you know that the greeters are out there, the parking crew, they're doing their best, but they're very few. Well, it's okay to pray that God will provide someone, but can I tell you, you're here. Yeah. 
And you know, you're a vocalist, you're a musician, you're able to communicate, you can offer a hand to shake, whatever the case may be, here's what I'm saying, and that's kind of a shameless plug for us in this same context, but my point is this, a, a saving faith will be a serving faith, okay? Uh, a, a, a workless faith is a worthless faith. We're going to put our hand to the plow. We're going to get involved. We're going to help someone out. You get the idea. This workless, worthless faith is unproductive, ineffective, barren, sterile. All these ideas communicate what James is saying when he uses the word dead. The picture is of a fallow field. There's no life that comes forth from it. It's just barren. And that's what dead faith looks like. Just barren. There's nothing coming forth from the life that proclaims it. Now, look at verse 18. He says, but someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith. By the way, this is a great verse to underline. Uh, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Now, uh, one thing about uh, James, he's very thorough. Have you noticed this? Now, sometimes we read James like he's very stern. It could be. He's very clear He's very straightforward, but when, oh, like eight times, you know, throughout his letter, he uses the word, my brethren. Sometimes he says, my beloved brethren. These are terms of endearment. It's like, guys, I want you to get this. It's not like, it's like, guys, you know, I want you to hear the heart of God in what I'm saying to you. And he just continues to pound on this point to prove this principle. He wants us to know, to not be confused concerning the matter that faith without works, listen, doesn't work. Faith without works doesn't work. And the concept that he's trying to help us understand is this, what is it that ratifies or verifies, what is it that confirms, the word he uses is justifies, living that is saving faith in our lives. How do we know as we seek to make our calling and election sure as we are exhorted to in scripture, how can you know, how can I know that my faith or anyone else's for that matter is genuine faith as opposed to a false faith? profession. And guys, I know we're spending time on this, but he's still on it, so we're still on it. Okay? It's of paramount importance that there's no confusion concerning this, and at the end of the day, it boils down to this. I cannot see someone's faith. I can't see anyone's faith. What I can see is the fruit of their faith, the good works Now, if you were to follow the flow and keep the context of all that we've read through this letter so far up to this point, the examples that James has spoken of uh, are things like enduring tribulation, enduring and overcoming temptation, controlling our tongue, uh, learning to be patient, slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to wrath, or, or slow to anger. He's mentioned laying aside impurity, uh, receiving the word of God in humility, and, and responding obediently. He's spoken of treating people fairly and being available to help the truly needy. And guys... It's not that you'll always exemplify every one of these things perfectly. But these are the kinds of things that will be developing and making for the fingerprints, right? The fingerprints or the fruit of genuine faith in your life. You understand? Jesus, in speaking of discerning true believers versus would-be deceivers, he said it like this, you will know them by their fruits. 
That is the kind of characteristics and patterns that their lives produce. Now, I should probably point out here that uh, some people uh, see James or they will set James and Paul at odds with each other because Paul went to great lengths, to, gr- to great extent, to demonstrate that we're saved by faith and not by works. You know, we, we read it earlier, for by grace you've been saved and through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, he wrote that by the works of the law shall no one be justified or no flesh shall be justified. He spoke about that in Romans. Uh, he spoke about it in Galatians. He said, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And so, so people like to contend. They like to, to set James and Paul on the horns of dilemma and say, so, you know, so pray tell. On the one hand, you have James saying works are essential. And on the other hand, you have Paul saying works have nothing to do with it. So pray tell, preacher, you know, is it James, is he right, or is it Paul, is he right? And the answer, of course, is yes. Um, These guys are not at odds with each other even a little bit. Their focus is simply on two different vantage points concerning faith. In other words, Paul speaks to the root of faith, as to where James is highlighting and emphasizing for us the fruit of faith. Does that make sense to you? Paul is saying works won't save you. James is saying, however, after you're saved, faith will go to work in your life. Paul was talking about performing the ritual works of the law to make for your own righteousness. He, he would oftentimes speak of uh, you know, circumcision as that which would, they would count as you know, thinking they had made themselves righteous. Jesus would uh, rebuke the Pharisees. You, know, you tithe, you give, you do, you know, you're following the letter of the law meticulously thinking that this makes you, you know, right before God. But the, the, the principle in play is always the same. You can't do anything to make yourself righteous before God. So where, as to where Paul was speaking of ritual works of the law, James is speaking of the righteous works of faith working through love. Okay? Now this is a principle with which Paul would completely agree. He penned words like, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, notice, but faith working through love. And again, he said, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm. How often? How often? Every now and then, occasionally. You know, as it's convenient, whatever the case may be for you. No, constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. This is Paul. Here's one more. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Now, on the other side of this particular perspective or this mindset here, this principle is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You can look it up in Luke chapter 10 later. But you'll find a, you know, you have a priest and a Levite, and uh, each having religious training, each would have defended their faith, but neither of which would stop to help the dying man on the side of the road. Now, they would have professed faith, but there was no fruit of said faith in their lives. Are you following me? It's that old saying. It's a a kind of an old, I don't know if cliche is the right word, catchphrase. We've said it, you know, you hear it uh, throughout your Christian journey, but it's a good one, so I'm going to say it again. You know, if you were accused of being a Christian, 
Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough proof to, to convict you? Now James goes on, he says, you believe there is one God. And more literally what he says here is, you believe that God is one. Uh, this is a reference to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, the Shema, uh, the, the great creed of Judaism, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now James lived in a day of pantheism, you, you understand. Um, and it's still around today, but it's not quite as as prevalent in, in our culture, the, the belief that there are many gods. But he's saying, look, you believe that God is one. The idea is you have a correct understanding uh, that there's only one true living God. And he says, man, that's great. But an accurate understanding is not enough. He says the demons have an accurate understanding as well. Uh, demons know that there's only one God, but they kick it up a notch beyond many of us. They tremble before God. And so, in one respect, you could say the demons have faith. That's what James is saying here. But it's not a living faith, it's a dead faith. They believe in God. They have a healthy fear of God. They know God to be true. But what's the fruit of demonic activity? Do you see where he's headed with this? What works are produced by demons? Are they God glorifying? Others oriented? Self denying? Body of Christ edifying kind of works done in love? No. Therefore, their faith does nothing for them. They're not saved. You know them by their fruits. Okay? Now look at verse 20. He says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that, here it is, he just says it, faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, back in verse 20, James asks the question, do you want to know? Uh, the idea is, do you really want to know the truth? I mean, do you want to know? Because some people don't like to be confused by the facts, their mind's made up. And that's kind of the situation that uh, James is speaking. He said, look, do you, do you really want to know? Do you want to just do what you do, say your words, do your thing, and think you're good? Or do you really want to know? And he says, if you really want to know the truth, here it is, faith with no fruit, without works, is dead. It's of no value. Okay? And again, guys, this is important. It's not faith or works. It's not even faith plus works. It's faith that works. I hope that makes sense to you. Um, but he brings up the illustration of Abraham offering up his son Isaac. Now, God stopped him. We know that account back in Genesis but he brings this up as an example of faith that produces corresponding works. Now, God knew that Abraham's faith was genuine. The very moment that he believed, years, decades before he offered up Isaac. And so James quotes that verse in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 
Abraham believed God. And it was, that is it. What's the it? His belief, his faith was accounted to him for righteousness. That was the root of his faith. Are you following me? God saw it and was instantly, Abraham was instantly accounted as righteous before God. However, the fruit of his faith, the true genuine nature of his faith was made manifest in his obedience to God's word, so others then were able to bear witness to it. We might say that Abraham let his light so shine so that others saw his good works and God was glorified in his life. When it speaks of his faith being made perfect, it means literally brought into maturity. It blossomed. It came into full bloom. So listen, If faith is the basis for justification, then works is the barometer or the indication of justification. Are you following me? If faith is the basis for justification, the works are the barometer of justification, the indicator. Abraham teaches us that if our faith is real, We will obey God's word and we will follow God's leading. Listen, even if we ultimately don't grasp fully where it's leading us. Uh, There's no way, ladies and gentlemen, that Abraham could have fully understood either the what or the why behind what God had asked him to do. But looking back, you and me, the vantage of hindsight, we look back through the lens of the cross and we see perfectly the picture of the Father sacrificing His only begotten Son whom He loves upon this mountain for the sins of the world. So, this acts as a bit of a litmus test for us, doesn't it? As we examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. If you're not born again, you really don't have any desire to obey the word of God. Any of you remember your BC days, you know, before Christ? How, how, how like uh, excited were you to like read and want to obey the Bible, right? If you don't know the Lord, if you're not born again, you really don't have any desire to obey God's word. However, if you find yourself obeying and desiring to obey God's word, that is evidence of saving faith at work in your life. One has said that the force behind the deed, or pardon me, faith is the force behind the deed, and the deed is the finality of the faith. Can I say that again? Faith is the force behind the deed, and the deed is the finality of the faith. What that means is that faith finds its fulfillment in action. Okay? Faith is fulfilled in action. Now, in these last couple of verses we're going to look at here, uh, James reaches to the opposite end of the spectrum for two purposes. Number one, to stop the argument. And number two, to establish the very same point that he's been pounding on this whole time. Now, look here at verse 25. He says, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You know, I love how James moves from the patriarch to a prostitute. He goes from a Jewish man to a Gentile woman. Guys, he could not have picked a more polar opposite person than the one he just held up as an example and an illustration of faith at work in a person's life. Now, why did he do that? Well, um, because number one, because the Holy Spirit inspired him to, right? Right? 
God was leading him to, to share and to explain and to uh, articulate and demonstrate and all the things. But he knew how people are. You know, great, James, you just held up. I mean, you expect us to be like Abraham? You know, the, the greatest patriarch the nation of Israel has ever produced, the very father of faith. That, that's, that's the benchmark. That's the way I'm supposed to live. That doesn't hardly seem fair. How can you expect me to lead a life like Abraham, the friend of God, you see? And so he moves to Rahab here to show that faith works the same way, listen to me, regardless of who a person is, in everyone's life. Jew, Gentile, male, female, patriarch, prostitute, it doesn't matter. Her story, if you're interested in reading it later, you'll find it in Joshua chapter 2. The short of it is this. Joshua sent two spies into the city of Jericho to spy it out before they set out uh, to conquer it. And they come to her house and they lodge there. Why? Well, because it wouldn't seem suspect for two strange men to mosey into a harlot's home. Okay? Nonetheless, they were picked up on radar and the king was told that they were there. So he sent and told her to send them out. Well, instead, she hid them. And then when it was safe, she sent them out another way than they came in. Okay? But before she did that, she told them that she had heard. Now, again, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. She said that she had heard all that God had done in delivering them from Egypt, how he had parted the Red Sea, how they had essentially demolished every army that had crossed them up to that point. And she knew that God had promised them that land and that they were going to take it and and, and God was going to give it to them. Here's the point. She heard God's word. She believed God's word. And the evidence that she believed it is that she acted upon God's word. Okay? Her behavior bore witness to what she believed. Are you following me? And she also communicated the same truth to her family, and her family acted upon the same thing. Their behavior bore witness to their belief, and she forsook her old life, her old lifestyle. She departed from her former friends. She chose to identify herself with the people of God, and ultimately, she winds up in the very lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Think about that. What kind of grace is that? Dare we say, amazing grace? Uh, Karen, are you our closer today? You can go ahead and make your way forward. But listen, here's here's what I want you to think through as our time draws to a close here. When she, you know, did what she did, when they came in and and housed there with her, she didn't just tell them, well, uh, when you return, uh, I'll be the one uh, standing by saying, uh, you know, kumbaya, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, pray, I'll be singing praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know, and, and, and the whole thing as you enter the city. She didn't just share some sort of spiritual sounding platitude that went no farther. No, her faith stirred her to action. She got involved in the situation because she believed the word of God. Are you following me? So the lesson that Abraham teaches us is this. If we believe in God, we obey his word. We do what he says. The lesson that Rahab teaches us is this. If we believe in God, we will help his people, even when it costs us something, even if sacrifice is involved. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So I just encourage, exhort you today to examine yourselves. 
as to whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What is the fruit of your faith? And cry out like David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, that's our prayer. That you would search us and know our heart. And if there be any wicked way in us, reveal it, Lord. Strengthen us to repent of it. Remove it. Lead us in the way everlasting. And I pray, O God, that our lives would bear witness to a true, genuine, living, fruitful faith. Make us more like Jesus. By the way, um, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, another thing that we learn from the two extreme examples of Abraham and, and Rahab is that anyone can be saved. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, where you've been, or what you've done. God extends equal opportunity unto everlasting life to everyone alike. We're all on equal footing before God, sinners in need of salvation. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. You can leave here. I don't know, maybe everyone here knows God. Maybe you all love God, and today you're just finding yourself confronted with this reality of, is, is, my, is my life bringing forth fruit that brings glory to God? Maybe not, though. And if you're in that place where you've, you've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you can leave your old life behind. You can become a new creation right here, right now by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So I just encourage you, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son so that if you would just believe on Him, you'd never perish but have everlasting life. So if that's resonating in you, if that's, this moment is for you, then I just want to pray for you. And so I'm just going to ask you to identify yourself. I don't want you to worry about uh, who's beside you or who you've come here with or whatever. It's between you and the Lord. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And so if you need the Lord to come into your heart, you're ready to surrender, to turn from your sin, to trust in him. And I'm just going to ask you to lift your hand and if I see it, I'll acknowledge it and you can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second here to say, yeah, this moment's for me. Uh, man, I need to be saved. Anyone I can pray for? I don't want you to miss your moment. Okay. Well, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you love us and that you've given yourself for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And all we can do is say, Lord, would you please forgive us our sin and strengthen us to lead a life well-pleasing to you. However you want to use us, have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, amen. So, uh, Russia, right? Ukraine. You know, what is all this? What does this mean? What is it? Is this uh, Bible prophecy? Is this, you know, what does this mean to me personally? And I mean, I can't tell you ultimately what it's going to mean to you or, or do in you or for you. But uh, listen, I was sharing with the servants a little bit earlier today, those who are here to serve you. Uh, we always do this, and if, you're, if you serve here and you haven't been, we encourage you to come, you know, 920, we have this little pre-service servants huddle kind of rally where we just 
share a little devotional thought and set our hearts and minds in that right place to want to serve you and serve the Lord uh, as one, you know, for his glory. But, uh, you know, people want to know, and and all I can tell you, listen, um, the Bible is clear prophetically, scripturally, however you want to say, that as as, um, the, the days draw to an end, that, you know, Russia will play a big part in end times kind of a prophetic posturing. Uh, I'll just read to you quickly, guys, uh, out of Matthew 24. It's a very popular passage where Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And, you know, Jesus said, look, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left here upon another. They'll be, you know, torn down and thrown down. And then they walk uh, from uh, that mountain there, the the temple mount is on, and they go across the valley. They come up on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples come to him privately, and they say, look, when's these things going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you for many Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. So here's the first word of encouragement, exhortation from the Lord to you. When these things happen, we get all this unrest, we get anxiety, we get uneasy. Jesus said, don't be like that. Okay. Let not your heart be troubled. Uh, Neither let it be afraid. Okay. Uh, He says, for all these things must come to pass. There's going to be escalation. There's going to be confrontation, right? There's going to be conflict. He says, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, they're like birth pangs, uh, uh, you know, toward the end of a woman's pregnancy. These kinds of things will begin to happen more frequently. They will happen with a greater intensity, okay? And he says, not only will there be wars and rumors of wars, nations against nation, or literally ethnos against ethnos, or ethnic group against ethnic group, all these things, He says they're going to happen, and and he also mentions pestilence. What is pestilence? It's infectious disease. Think COVID, okay? Uh, Kind of pandemic kind of things. Um, And he says these things are going to happen, but they're just the beginning. They're going to continue to escalate. Uh, They're going to continue to to grow uh, in, again, that frequency and intensity. And then, of course, you know, you, you kind of cross-reference that. So in other words, these kinds of things are happening in front of us that Jesus said would happen. You kind of cross-reference that with Ezekiel 38 where uh, he talks about Rosh or Russia, Gog, Magog. You, you see the kings of the east there in, in uh, the book of Revelation. You know, China is posturing against Taiwan and Russia. The, and then, of course, you have Iran and Iraq and all Persia. All of these things are very prominent in end-time biblical prophecy. But the Bible says when you see these things begin to happen, what, are, what is our goal? What is our responsibility? What is our role? Jesus said, look up because your redemption draws near. In other words, keep your sights on Jesus Christ. Don't be distracted. Serve him with all your heart. Be found so doing, praying. This should strike a sense of urgency in your heart and your mind to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with friends, with family to let them know what's happening. God will eventually, ultimately put hooks in the jaws of Russia. They will, with China and all these other places, they will start setting their sights on the Middle East, Israel in particular. They will be drawn into war, and that's when God says, I'm going to fight for them, and they're going to know that I am the Lord. But I just want you to know that the Bible speaks on these things with resolute clarity. What our role and responsibility, therefore, you know, Jesus said we're to pray. Paul said we're to pray for those in power as things escalate. You know, I would pray for Russia. I would pray for Ukraine. You know, I pray for China. Pray for our leaders. God knows they need wisdom, you know, in how to... Uh, orchestrate and facilitate what is the best thing for this nation. And, and, and ultimately what we do sets the tone for the way things ripple out across this planet. 
That's just right now the way that things are set politically, geopolitically, and all the things. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I do know what's going to happen ultimately. You know, all these things are going to come to pass. Jesus Christ is going to return. We're going to catch air, and we're going to be with him eternally. Uh, But meanwhile, there are people slipping off the planet without Jesus. That's our urgency. That's our responsibility. Um, Pray for your brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, in the Soviet Union, who are either defending or about what, maybe doing what they have to do, don't want to do, and some do want to do. I mean, there's a whole thing, right? But prayer and, and preaching the gospel, that's where we're at, right? Serve the Lord with all your heart. Let's stand to our feet. Uh, We're having some leaders come down. They'll be available to pray for you, whatever your need may be. Uh, However it is that, uh, you know, maybe today something was resonating in you and you're going, gosh, I am a vocalist. Gosh, I am a musician. Gosh, I I am available to serve. Gosh, I I should probably help the ushers. Then yes, you should. (laughs) You can pray for it, but God put you here, right? And such would be the situation anywhere in life, guys. I would, hesitate, I would shudder to make you want to think that the only place you serve Jesus is in these four walls. This is just a great place to start because as we minister to one another, Jesus said, what you do to these, even the least of these, my brother, you do to me. Edifying the body of Christ is serving the Lord. And, and you're already here. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to, to build up and bless and edify the kingdom, laying up rewards for yourself in heaven. Uh, and so I just encourage you, again, whatever your need may be, uh, let's pray for you. But may the Lord bless you and be with you. May he edify and encourage you. May you be strengthened and resolved to set your sights on him. Look up. Don't be distracted from This is not the day to grow weary and well-doing. This is not the time to uh, kind of just uh, drift away. But you want to anchor deep and serve the Lord with all your heart. And uh, anything else going on today? The women's study? Nothing today, okay? Uh, But just other things going on all week, youth group, men's study, uh, Thursday night study. Encourage you guys to be about, uh, you know, the things that the Lord would lead you to do. And so, Father, once again, we just pray uh, that you go before us, that you continue to have your way in us, establish our thoughts, ordain our steps. And Lord, uh, I, I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, as the things kind of escalate and, and the volatility on the kind of the global scale right now, that that would, Lord, really encourage us, inspire us, motivate us uh, to share the hope that we have in you and that people would see you in us, that our light would so shine. Uh, God, that people see our good works, that that they would glorify you. And so, God, uh, we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. And blessings to you guys. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you real soon.